0: Epistle to the Romans chapter 16. We started here last week as we saw all these words, and uh, really building upon this one thought that there is no other foundation that can be laid that has already been laid, and that is the foundation of who? Jesus Christ, Christ the Lord. He is the foundation. Paul said that plainly in 1 Corinthians 3:11. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Again, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. So we're looking here at this uh, particular topic of being established in Christ strengthened in Christ. Our word for the day, if you will, and our word for the hour is found there in verse number 25 of our text. It says in the very beginning, it says, Now to him that is of power to establish you. Establish you. Strengthen you. Settle you. Confirm you. uh, uh, Found you. uh, Make you more resolute, if you will, in the gospel ministry and the gospel work of Jesus Christ. Our establishment is in Christ. I might not be a part of the establishment of this world, but I'm not worried about that. Amen? And it doesn't, your establishment is not who you are or what you are or what you will or can become. But rather, we should be having our establishment, our strength, our security, if you will, in Christ Jesus the Lord. Some people have their security in a safety deposit box. Uh, they, they, that's their security. Uh, some people learned recently that their security was in a bank in Silicon Valley. And they realize, you know what? There's not very good security there and the banks will fail you. Um, uh, that thing in that social, in that security box that that safety deposit box, it's not going to get you to heaven. I, I'm sorry to ha- hate to break the bad news to you, uh, some of you are saying, "I don't even have a safety deposit box. I have nothing. If I did, I don't. If I did, I would have nothing to put inside of it. Uh, but that's maybe a good thing and uh, maybe not a good thing. I don't know. However, you might want to view that. But uh, varying opinions. But nonetheless, none of it's going to get you to heaven, and none of it's going to gain you merit or favor with God, and none of it is certainly going to give you the peace of God, which passes all understanding, or the joy of Christ." that helps you to uh, live as a Christian and live in the midst of trials and adversity that is all around us. Our establishment is in Christ Jesus the Lord. In fact, the Bible teaches us that Christ is the one that builds you up. It says in Acts chapter number 20, and verse number 32, and now brethren, I commend you to God. I'm commending you over to God. I'm giving you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, able to build you up. The Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter three and verse number thirteen, it says, To this end that he may establish your hearts to be unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Second Thessalonians, again, the Bible teaches us this: but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you? And keep you from evil, verses, chapter 3, verse number 3. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10, it says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And Jude, he also tells us this, a very similar passage to the one that's in front of us. It says, Now unto him, that is Christ, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So we see that the overarching message in our text and uh, really of our next three sermons, of our, next ser- of our sermons, this little series, and this will continue into next week, I hope, as we'll see the last verse as we'll be next week, we'll be giving glory to God for his great faithfulness And really what we're trying to get at is this, is that if God has been so, over these these three sermons, if God has been so faithful to us and keeping us, establishing us, settling us, keeping us from falling, then wouldn't it only seem logical that we as believers in Him and our Lord, that we should be faithful to Christ? That would be the logical estimation I believe that anybody should come to. That if they have been faithful to them, in fact, we think about it in a worldly sense. That if somebody uh, perhaps uh, has an affair, has an, uh, has an adulterous relationship, and uh, they, know both, they know both parties in that particular uh, relationship there. And if one of the parties, let's say the, the, the wife was a very faithful woman, very faithful, and was, uh, was very helpful and faithful, and uh, it was demonstrated. The kids even have testimony of this. They see all the things that are going on in their home, and yet the man uh, runs off with another woman. You know what? We say, well, that is so ungodly. I mean, not just because of the sin, but because she was so faithful to him. We say that in a worldly sense, don't we, sometimes? We say she was so faithful to him. She was so helpful to him. She was was such a good wife to him. And to see what he did to her. We talk about that a lot of times. We hear people talk like that. But let us switch the scenario. Let us switch the narrative. And let us put that same thought upon ourselves and God. God is so faithful to us. God is so good to us. God is so helpful to us. Amen? Amen? But are we always as helpful and as faithful to Him as He is to us? Of course, the answer is no to that. But I'm glad uh, Albert read this morning in Joshua chapter number 1 and verse number 6 that he tells us that He will never fail us nor what? Forsake us. Praise God for that. The Bible teaches us here in Romans chapter 16 verses 25, 26, and 27 these words. This is doctrine. This is what the Bible is trying to teach us, okay? And I'm probably oversimplifying some of these things. I believe I am, especially uh, the end of verse 25 and the beginning of verse 26. But I'm just trying to help us out here to grow in our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ. It says, now to him, this is his doxology. Interesting that uh, Paul gives no other doxology in any other of his epistles but this one. Uh, this is the only time that he ends with this particular, in this particular fashion. He has a doxology right in the middle of uh, the first chapter of 1 Timothy, very unusual, but, uh, but in, to end an epistle, this is his only time, unlike Peter and others. It says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So we've established that we need to be established in Christ. Are you established in Christ? Where's your foundation at for your spiritual security? Your eternal home. We all have a soul and we're all going to leave this world one day and we're all either going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That's the Bible teaching, amen? That's what God teaches us. And there's, if uh, some people say, well, I believe in a heaven, but I certainly don't believe in a hell. Well, my friend, then you've got your Bible teaching and your Bible doctrines wrong. Because if there's a God, then there's a devil. If there's a heaven, then there's a hell, my friend. There's no in-betweens. Jesus taught about it. Uh, The Psalms teach us about it. Revelation reveals to us the final end of all those that go to hell. They end up in another place called the lake of fire. If your foundation is not set and secure in Jesus Christ, then, my friend, that's where you'll be at. But I'm glad that the Bible, that, that song we just sang, what did it say? There's room at the cross for you. Amen. The millions have come. There's still room for one. I'm glad for the atonement, the self, the, the, the self, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ's blood. Amen. It is sufficient. It is able. It is able to save whatever sinner you might be whoever you are in this auditorium today, if you've never been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and my friend, don't, you mark it down, that's the only way to be saved. is through Jesus and his blood and his blessed resurrection. Have you believed upon that? I think it was John Wesley, that famous Methodist minister, that whenever he was going to back home to England from Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, he was troubled about his salvation because a great storm came over them that day on the, on the sea there and as it came over him, it was coming over all the rest of the crew and everybody was scared except for one small group that was on the boat, a group of Moravians. And Mr. Wesley could see that their calm demeanor was something to be asked about. So he went to them in the midst of this great storm and he said to them, he said, how is it that you're so calm when we're all about to die? And the minister looked at him of the group. He said, it's because, Mr. Wesley, we have Christ in our hearts and we've believed upon him and we don't worry where we're about dying upon this earth because we know where we'll be going in the next And he looked at John Wesley and he said, do you know where you'll go? And that haunted Wesley because he did not get saved that night, but he was trying to preach the gospel, but it was a gospel he was trying to preach that he knew nothing about. He knew about God and about Jesus, and he knew the stories. He had been confirmed in the church, and he had been baptized, and all the rest of it. He went to; he'd even went to Oxford and was educated in the ministry. But none of that mattered, my friend, because what mattered is this: is that have you believed? In fact, that minister read to him John three sixteen, and when he got to the word there, it says, "But for God so loved the world." He said, Mister Wesley, he said, "Do you realize that means you?" You? you see, a lot of people take the gospel impersonal. The gospel is for that person, or the gospel is for the world, or Jesus died for everyone. and That is true, and there's no doubt about that. But John 3.16 is a general statement to include everybody into it. But until you take that general statement and personalize it, my friend, you're not saved. You're not saved. Whenever I talk to, try to witness to children, sometimes I'm very careful in how I talk to them and witness them. I don't want to give them a false assurance of faith, of salvation. But in speaking with them, I oftentimes ask them, who sins? And a lot of times they'll say, everybody sins. Everybody sins. And I always follow up with this question. Have you sinned? And a lot of times there's some squirming, you know, And sometimes they'll just look you flat in the face and say, no. (laughs) I love the honesty of children. No. No, I don't think I've ever sinned. I've ever done wrong. Well, you know what that shows me? That shows me right away that this little one, or I've asked even adults that, that shows me right there and then that their heart is not prepared. Their heart doesn't understand the great gravity that exists between them and God, the great distance that is between them and God, that they personally need to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not by being in a church. It's not because you got confirmed, or it's not because you've been baptized. It's not because you, my friend, are a member somewhere that doesn't make anybody saved what saves somebody is Christ he is the savior he is the foundation and he said it himself and I couldn't say it any better that if you're not built upon this foundation talking about himself he said you're standing on some sinking sand and you and great will be the fall of all those that will be in such case. But praise God, there's some in here, I believe, that are standing on the good foundation. And I trust that many of you are. I trust that most of you are. And if you are standing on the good foundation, may I encourage you this morning to let you know that God does not want you to just have a foundation. He wants to build you up. God does not just expect you to have a foundation. He wants to build up walls. He wants to to put on a roof. Amen? I mean, sometimes that takes a little while. It don't all come in one one shebang. Anybody ever built a house before? (laughs) It don't happen overnight, I can tell you that much. You got to put in the plumbing, the electrical. You got to put up the walls and the windows. You know what? God wants to do the same thing spiritually to you and to me. And in our text, he's trying to teach us some of the things in which we are built up with. We looked at three of those last week. I won't go ahead. I won't, I'll just mention them real quickly for you. He says you're built up by my gospel, the gospel. We ought to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. Listen, I said it last week. And I'll say it again. You as a believer should never get too far away from the cross. You should never get too far away from the cross. You should stay close to the cross. You should stay close by it because it is your security. It is what you're holding on to. It is what saved you. Also, he says says here, he says, you're built up also by this. You're established by what? By the preaching of Jesus Christ. By the preaching of Jesus Christ. Preaching is God-ordained teaching. That God decided and God ordained it that it should be done. I talk to some people and say, well, I just don't go to church. We just gotta have Bible study at the house. And I'm all for Bible study, amen? And you ought to be having Bible study. You ought to be taking your family in and taking them and showing them the God's word. But also you ought to be submitting yourself under the preaching of the word of God. God decided that this is not my means and not my method. But God has established by his own power and by his own sovereign grace that there will be certain means and certain methods by which we are established. The gospel, the preaching of the Word of God, but not only that, but he also says here in our text, he says, by the mystery that's been revealed. What is the mystery? Well, the mystery is a multifaceted thing. That's why I said I'm oversimplifying it probably some this morning, but the mystery concerns this. It concerns the facts of these, that God would send His Son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and that God's Son would end up dying for the sins of all mankind, that He would be buried, that He would rise again on the third day, that He would send His Holy Spirit into those that have believed upon Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that He would begin a new and marvelous work called, we call it, the church. The Bible calls it the church, in which He would allow both Jew and Gentile into it simultaneously, eventually even blurring the lines so much that Jew and Gentile would not even be seen anymore, but that they would not even be two distinct groups, but one group, the church, that has been set aside for this time for to be preaching the gospel. And God has set aside his program with Israel in order that he may be able to work through his church. That, in a nutshell, is the mystery. Okay, so you see why I'm saying oversimplifying this morning. Amen. There's a lot going on in the mystery right there. But I simplified it and said it like this. Is that God establishes us by his power, by his abilities, through the gospel, through the preaching of his word, and through the glorious mystery we call the church. God is doing this. It's not my design, it's God's. If we are ever going to be faithful to God... Or excuse me, if we're, if we're going to recognize God's faithfulness, then we ought to be faithful to Him, placing ourselves under these, these things. And He gives us also three others this morning that I want to deal with real quickly. He gives us the, the fourth one is our first one this morning. It says it in verse number 26. But now is may manifest, and by, here is continuing the, the thought here. In fact, let's read it like this, okay? Let's read it a little bit differently. Look at verse 25. And we'll go right to verse 26 so that we have a better understanding. Now, to him that is of power to establish you, verse 26, according to the, or excuse me, by the Scriptures of the prophets. Did you get that? Probably not because I botched it. All right, let's try it again. Now, to him that is of power to establish you by the Scriptures of the prophets. This is a list, okay? So, the power to establish you, Is by or according to these particular things: the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the church, the mystery, and now by the scriptures. That's why I had so many. That's why I. That's why I challenged you to read Psalm one nineteen, and I'm glad so many of you did. And I hope that you got something from it. I hope that you continue to read on. I hope it propelled you to read more of the Word of God. But what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying that the Scriptures establish you, strengthen you. They settle you in your faith. The Scriptures are what keep you resolute in your walk with Jesus Christ. They are there to keep you and for me from bending and bowing and breaking to the commands and to the, to the uh, edicts of the world the scriptures keep you staunch. They keep you firm in your convictions and your standards towards God and his word. That's what the word of God does. It's there to stir you up, to build you up. The scriptures settle us and they keep us on track. We've heard a lot about tracks lately, haven't we? With Norfolk Southern and all the rest of it, right? They're up in Ohio. Man, i never heard any more, so much about trains in all my life than, I have, than we have over the last few weeks. I mean, one you have one big accident, and then it's like, man, there's a report every single time there's a train that gets derailed, right? I mean, everything's getting derailed. It sounds like the whole entire uh, commerce system is off tracks. But we know something about this. Train off tracks. Man, we live right beside of a train track. And I was so glad that that train never went fast by our house because if it ever did go off tracks, we'd be dead. I mean, it would have just plowed right through our house. We were that close to the train tracks. I mean it would just would have just clobbered us. Uh, but it was always going about one mile per hour when it went by our house. You said, "That sounds great. Yeah, it is great, unless you have to sit there all night, and then it has to blow its, in, blow its horn about five more feet away from your house at one mile per hour, all right? So uh, not, not many sleep, very, a lot of sleepless nights spent there on 200-day waveland drive. The scriptures are there though when your feet start to slip when your feet start to when you start to draw back from God and his word draw back away from God and you start to get a little unsettled in what you believe or what you think is right or wrong the scriptures are there to draw you back to get you settled in again Proverbs 6 in verse number 23 says this for the commandment is a lamp And the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Listen, if you don't like to be reproved, if you don't like to be admonished, then you're not going to make a very good Christian. That's just the brass tacks of it. You're not going to make a very good Christian. Why? Because that is the way of life. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now some of you fathers or some of you mothers don't miss what it says there. It says reproofs of instruction. Never give a reproof and never give a reproof without instruction on the the end of that thing. Never just berate somebody. God does not berate us. Amen. Praise God. He gives us instruction. He reproves us and then he instructs us and tells us how to do it, what we should do, what we should have been doing, what we shouldn't have been doing. This is the way of life. The scriptures settle our comforting hearts. They not only help us in our convictions, but they help us whenever we're depressed and anxious and when our heart is discouraged or filled with anxiety. Think about it this way. Sin steals your stability in Christ, but so does unsurity and doubt And fear. How many times in God's Word are we told this command? Fear not. If I'm not mistaken, and I didn't do the research on it, maybe I should have, but I did, I'm pretty sure after former research, that is the number one command in all the Bible. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. You look it up, it's all over the place. Fear not. Do not be afraid. We just read it this morning, or excuse me, Albert read it this morning in Joshua chapter number one that he tells him, do not be afraid. Elijah ran away. Why? Because he was afraid. John the Baptist well, got depressed and, and got, got depressed in jail because he was worried. What was, what's going on? What did God do to both of these men? He sent to them the word of God. Go tell John. That's what he said. And then God came to Elijah and he says, here's the word of the Lord on that this is what I want you to do. See, God's got a word for us whenever we're anxious and fearful. But as, as, as Albert read, the Scriptures not only settle us by giving us convictions and settles our comfort and comforts our hearts, but it also gives us courage. And now, you were there, I think it would be helpful if you all went back there. I won't read the whole passage again, but Joshua 1 in verse number 8, this is a passage we all ought to settle in our brains, as my good friend Bobby Shutt used to do, will, will say, put this on the sticky side of your brain, you know? Put a post-it note up there and get it in. If you don't, if you don't, if you can't memorize it, then you ought to at least know where it's at. Joshua 1.8. That bugs me to death to know in. I like to, I might not be able to memorize something, but I want to know where it's at. And Luke was teaching something this morning and a a, a story came up in the Gospels and I could not, for the sake of me, remember where that crazy story was at. That bugs me. I want to know where things are at. I want to know my Bible. I want to say, no, no, this is where it says it right here. And I can take somebody to it. Joshua 1a, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Remember what we talking about. What settles us? What shores us up? The what? The scriptures. Say it with me. The what? The scriptures. the scriptures. This is what he's talking about right here. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou shalt observe to do to all according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And look on the heels of that. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. You know what that tells me right there? Very simply is this. The logic is real simple in that text. All right? If you follow it. God is telling Joshua, observe all the Word of God. Listen to what the Word of God says. And Then what does He say on the heels of that? Be strong and of a good courage. It's going to take courage many times do word? Why? Because it goes against popular opinion. It goes against the main thought patterns. It doesn't work in the world, and it doesn't a lot. Of, it doesn't. It's not going to work with carnal Christians. It's not going to work with carnal family members. It's not going to work. People are going to say that doesn't make sense. It's Going to take courage are you are you reading your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? Are you meditating on the scriptures? How can you do that? Well, one of the ways in which is very simple is just take you a little notepad, read your scriptures in the morning, and write down a meditative thought within that thing. Write down just a couple of thoughts. I've started doing that I tried to I, I've never really done that as good as I've wanted to do it, but since we read Psalm 119. I just went ahead and read Psalm 120, 121, 122, 123, 124. That's what I've been doing, all right? And I've been writing out on a meditative thought every single day, every single day that I read that so that I can just try to think on these things. Think on these things. It's helpful, and it will help you out. Number two, number two, we see that we're established not only in Christ, but we're established also by the Scriptures and also by the commandments of God. Notice what it says. He says again, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to the commandment of the everlasting God. According to the commandment. Now what is the commandment? Well, that could be, I believe, interpreted a lot of different ways, of course. Some, some commentators think that it means the gospel. The gospel. That's the commandment of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And I would say that's a good commandment. Amen. Uh, That's a very good. I would say there's another commandment. Jesus says that there are two commandments. What? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy might and all thy strength. But there's also, he says, and love thy neighbor as thyself. But I'm just going to take it more generally this morning and say this is that we are strengthened, we are established by the obedience to the commands of God. You're established in your faith when you obey God. Take your Bibles over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 26 and verse number 16. I love this passage here. Whenever Paul is meeting with a very famous king named King Agrippa, Acts chapter number 16, or excuse me, Acts chapter number 26 and verse number 16. The Bible says this, but rise, um, stand upon thy feet. Oh, okay. So, let me throw you a little context in here because that's a very odd place to pick up Paul is speaking to Agrippa, and in speaking to Agrippa, he's giving to him his personal testimony of when Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And we're picking up this personal testimony halfway in between, because I want you to see verse 20 here in a second. It says, But rise, Jesus says, and stand up on thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee, speaking to Paul. For this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and turn them from light darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in me. Now here it is. I want you to see this. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. What am I trying to say here? Is that Jesus told Paul what to do plainly. It was the command of God. And Paul says, I was not disobedient unto what? The heavenly vision. The heavenly vision. Maybe the reason God has not given you much security, much settledness in your life is because you've been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Disobedient. You say, I haven't got no Damascus Road experience. You know what Proverbs says? The Bible says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know what that's in reference to? The word vision? The Word of God. The Word of God. Listen, we all that are saved have got a little vision. And God reveals things to us. He reveals things to us and He shows to us what we should do and what we should, do, what we should, not, what we should not do. Maybe the reason God has not opened up your eyes lately is because you haven't not necessarily seen a physical vision, but a spiritual vision, a plain command that God has said to do, and you have not done it. You haven't done what God has told you to do. So you're unsettled in your faith. You're not, you say, I want to know what the will of God is well, God gave you his will a month ago, man, and he's, you're still not doing what he told you to do. Maybe it is witnessing to your neighbor. Maybe it is getting rid of some idols that are in your life. You know that's hindering your walk with God. And God is, man, you come to the church house and it's like, man, I mean, somebody can be, I mean, preaching on love, mercy, and faith. And, and I mean, you're thinking, man, I got to get rid of that thing. And there's nothing, there's no preaching on idol, idolatry at all. We're not going to grow in our faith if we're not obedient, first of all, to the vision, if you will, let me put that in quotes, that God has given to us, to the things that he has revealed to us. If my kid will not listen to me about which side of the road to ride his bicycle on, I'm not going to give him the keys to my car. All right? Break it down like that, simple. I'm not going to say, hey, go out there and drive around, you know what I mean? You can ride a bike on the wrong side of the road every once in a while and probably get away with it. You're not going to get away with that too long when you're driving a car, okay? I'll never forget, I was in Winston-Salem, I was a country boy and I was downtown, Winston-Salem and I was driving down this road and this person's flashing their lights at me and I'm like, who is this crazy person flashing their lights at me, you know? They're honking their horn, you know, flashing their lights and everything and I'm like, you know, they swerve around me like, what an idiot. And I look over to my right and I see one way, you know. I'm going, <laughs> I was driving the wrong way on a one-way street, a country boy in a city. In, in a city. That was not a good experience. I found the pl- first place. I made sure that I didn't turn down a one-way. You know, I thought about that. Because they're like that sometimes. Maybe God is saying, hey, you need to honor your mom and dad. You need to honor mother and father. You need to do what is right by them, but you have not, but you say, no, 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 no. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand this, and you don't understand the shape I'm in. Maybe God wants you to restore a relationship through forgiveness. He want man, why can't I just grow grow in grace, you know? Because you're living in bitterness. That's why. That's Why? You're not going to grow up until you first of all do the things that God has revealed to you. Maybe it's to stop coveting and start being content. I mean, maybe it's to stop drinking and stop, stop getting drunk. Or maybe it's say, you know, I've got to throw those, throw those, throw that tobacco out of my life. I gotta get rid of some things that are holding me down. I've got to, I've got to stop. I gotta maybe you need to quit complaining and stop murmuring so much. Be thankful. Maybe you just need to love your wife more. I don't know what it is. Don't you sit there like a banny rooster all bowed up and you say, because I didn't mention your sin this morning, okay? God knows your sin. God knows my sin. We all got one, okay? Don't anybody in this room think, well, I don't have my sin. Well, you just found yours. <laughs> all right? If you don't know what it is, come see me later. What Paul is teaching us this is that simply that God's power, and I said this before, but I'll say it again. God's power to establish us, all right? We're established in Christ if we're saved, amen? Listen, if you don't read your Bible tomorrow, praise God, you didn't lose your salvation, amen? Praise God, amen? Thank the Lord. I'm not encouraging anybody to get drunk tonight. But if you get drunk tonight, praise God, you're not going to lose your salvation, okay? It's not going to just flutter away. Because why? Because it's settled in Christ, all right? It's in Christ. That's where your your foundation is. If it's not there, you're not saved. I don't care if you live the the most holiest of lifestyle that you can live. You're not saved if your foundation is not in Christ. Where's your foundation at? Christ, you say it is, I've believed upon him, I've trusted upon him, I've believed upon Christ, okay? Then listen, God's power to establish us is by certain means and certain methods by which he has chosen. We're founded in him, What we're built up with these other things. The preaching of the word of God, the scriptures, the commands, and then finally the evangelization of the lost. he says at the end, he has made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Some of the most established people in their faith are people that are just not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That doesn't make them perfect by any means. Amen? Doug and I were just talking the other day. I think it was Wednesday night. We were saying, isn't it amazing how God uses flawed people? He does. He uses flawed people. Paul was abrasive. Okay? Most of us could not handle Paul being our pastor. Okay? The world that we live in definitely could not handle Paul being their pastor. Okay? All right? He's just too mean. Okay? Okay? He's too straightforward, too direct. (laughs) You know, people in his day didn't like him, okay? But he spoke the word of God and he spoke the truth. But he was abrasive. Barnabas and him were both contentious. Peter was inconsistent. John and James were hotheads. Mark was a deserter. Thomas doubted. Peter denied. Paul even appeased the Jews on one occasion and it got him arrested. Listen, people are flawed my friend and read and I only have time to read or to talk to you about the true and I say true biographies of missionaries and pastors and evangelists and some of the vices that they had and some of the things that they were permitted in their life listen I'm not saying that there is a distinction between witnessing and holiness no there is no distinction between the two you ought to be holy and you ought to be a witness you ought to follow God's command and you ought to follow and you ought to tell people about Jesus Christ but what I am saying is this if you're waiting on somebody to get perfect be perfect or be something that you've imagined in your head for them to give the gospel then my friend you're going to be waiting a long time but if you're also let's flip the coin on this thing if you're waiting for yourself to be something somebody maybe a degree on the wall or something else to tell somebody about Jesus Christ or I've got to get rid of this or I got to be this or I got to do that and, and in order to tell somebody about Jesus no what you need to be is saved if you're saved, guess what? You've got the qualification to tell somebody about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because all you've got to tell them is this. I was lo- once lost, but now I'm found. I don't know all the verses, but I know John 3, 16. Amen? And I can tell you that God loves you, even though you're a sinner. Just like he loved me. And he will save you. If you'll just trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I've looked through the Bible many a times. And I've only found one man that is mentioned. One, I would say one because there's a lot of people mentioned mention the Bible. We don't hear very much about them. But there's only one man, one main figure in all the scriptures besides Jesus Christ the Lord that you find nothing wrong about. Daniel. Daniel. You don't find anything wrong perfect, unblemished character. Joseph is a close second. There might be a a few things that you might find wrong with him according to opinion. Some think Joshua too. But you look at Daniel. I say that not to discourage us. I say that to say this, is that out of all the men in God's Word you only find one. Let's say we find three. Let's just go ahead and use the other three, okay? Let's say we find three. Let's say we find two. It's not very many. That encourages me because that lets me know that God uses flawed people. So don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if you don't find yourself growing in Christ if you're not telling other people about Christ why because that's one of the ways that God establishes your faith that's one of the ways in which he ordained he decided not me not the preacher but God's word decided for you to be built up settled and strengthened in your faith all of them are equally important all of them deserve their own sermon of course but for us here this morning, let us realize that our establishment, that our being strengthened in Christ, that Christ must be the foundation, but God strengthens us and establishes us according to the gospel, the preaching of, the, of Jesus Christ, the mystery that's been revealed to us in the gospel and in His church. He does so through the scriptures. He does so through us, through our obedience to the commands of God. And He does so also through the evangelization of the lost. Establishment in Christ calls upon you, and I'll close with this, to act your faith out. May God help us to be established. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. May God you help us, Lord.